Even though the incidence of pediatric inguinal hernia ranges from 0.8% to 4%, inguinal hernia repair remains one of the most common procedures performed by pediatric surgeons around the world. And that's why today we're gonna hear about it from an expert. So this is gonna be a totally frenetic talk, um, like my personality. That's Dr. Todd Ponsky, and he's a pediatric surgeon at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And today, he's gonna walk us through what the surgical trainee needs to know about pediatric inguinal hernias. I'm Brittany, and this is the Stay Current Podcast. 800,000 inguinal hernias are repaired every year in the U.S. alone. And as the pediatric surgeon knows, the difference between an adult and a pediatric hernia is that adults will have direct hernias, but kids almost never have direct hernias. The explanation for that is totally up to anatomy. So let's start with the basics and review the anatomy. As we know, epigastric hernias are in the upper abdomen, while incisional hernias can occur pretty much anywhere that had a previous surgical site. But our area of interest today is down near the groin, where we're gonna see direct inguinal hernias, indirect inguinal hernias at the opening of the inguinal canal, and femoral hernias below the inguinal ligament in the femoral canal. Understanding inguinal anatomy necessitates an understanding of the layers of the abdominal wall below the arcuate line. I always get mixed up with this, so here's Dr. Ponsky to make sure that we get it right. This is the abdominal wall. So you would have the skin on top, and then you would have the external oblique here. Then you have the internal oblique, the transversus abdominis, the transversalis fascia, and underneath that is the peritoneum. You can see that's the peritoneum. Now, that's the layers of the abdominal wall. They all run down together. To access the inguinal canal, we would make an incision through the external oblique, and that presents us with the spermatic cord going from the inside of the abdomen through the inguinal canal and down into the scrotum. But there isn't a lot of room in that area. As the spermatic cord pops through here, through the abdominal wall to go into the inguinal canal, there's no space for it. So what happens is the body has to make way for that spermatic cord. The internal oblique and the transversus abdominis, those two middle layers, have to move out of the way. So they run down, they stop here, and then they move off to the side. They don't, they don't continue down like they were before. They move off to the side. And the two together, the internal oblique and the transversus abdominis together, we call the conjoined tendon. The two are together. And it moves off to the side. So it makes way for the spermatic cord. So the only thing you have left is the transversalis fascia beneath the spermatic cord. So the orange pom-pom that Dr. Ponsky's looking at represents a weakness where a direct hernia would be. And the reason a direct hernia happens in this specific location is because there's almost nothing there. It's just a simple transversalis fascia. That's the only muscle layer there because the internal oblique and the transverse abdominis moved off to the side to come together and form the conjoined tendon. Now to strengthen the floor and repair a direct hernia, how do we proceed? Let's walk through it. So we take this conjoined tendon and underneath the spermatic cord, we lift this up, we sew the conjoined tendon over to the inguinal ligament. We bring the conjoined tendon over and sew it so we reinforce the floor by moving the conjoined tendon and sewing into the inguinal ligament. That's how you would repair a direct hernia. So on indirect inguinal hernias, the spermatic cord pops out through the deep ring and a little bit of peritoneum gets snuck alongside it. The peritoneum is the hernia sac and let's see how we should approach that. 
So what we have to do is we sort of divide that sack and then stuff it back inside. And then what we can some people do is put a little stitch here in the ring. Uh, most of us don't do that very often, but that's called a Marcy stitch to sort of tighten that ring. But that's an, that's an indirect hernia. An indirect hernia, there's no muscle problem, there's no weakness. It's just that the peritoneum snuck inside, so we just need to push it back in. The direct hernia is a weak transversalis fascia, and that we can see here. Now, the defect where the cord structures went, that's the indirect hernia. And this happens because the testicle migrates down during development, and the peritoneum can go along with it. This can get pretty confusing, but the basic concept is relatively simple, and Dr. Ponsky has a great analogy. It's not a muscle problem. The muscles are normal. It's just that the sacs snuck in between them. So all you have to do is remove the sack and the door will shut, right? So it is, that's the idea here is you remove the sack and things will shut or close because there is no hole. So there's no muscle to put any stitches into. It's just removing the annoying sack that's in the way and then the muscles will shut or close. And my, by the way, I think you could do this in adults too. Changing gears, let's talk about femoral hernias. Basically, there are two ways to approach a femoral hernia. Imagine when we get to the transversalis fascia, we cut it open and we pull the hernia from the femoral canal and pull it up. Now, we just made a direct hernia, so we can push that back down and close up our repair. But instead of just sewing to the inguinal ligament, you actually put a few stitches into Cooper's ligament as well. That narrows the femoral defect. So you can either go through the transversalis fascia, bring it up and make it into a direct hernia and then close it by tying to the Coopers or do an infrainguinal incision, which is what I do. Laparoscopically, if I see a femoral hernia, I put the, the Maryland into the femoral hernia defect and I open on top of the Maryland tip and just put a couple stitches there, uh, reapproximating that, that lacunar, like that closing that lacunar to the Coopers. Let's take a look at a couple of cases. A four-year-old comes to clinic with a history of a growing bulge that comes and goes on the right and no pain. Mom says it's soft, it's squishy, and right away you think it's a hernia or maybe a hydrocele, but a physical exam is necessary. I don't think that I can reliably say I can diagnose a hernia, hernia by saying I can feel the sack running between my fingers, but um, you definitely, sometimes can feel a thickness of the cord because um, you'll feel like the, the big uh, thick inflamed sac. Um, but honestly, you either feel a bulge or you don't. So what is the best way to examine the scrotum for that bulge? You need to do an exam is make sure you have both testicles in the scrotum and then see, and I can tell the parents that, if they see a bulge, say, all right, make sure you see both testicles are in the scrotum. And if you still see the bulge, it's probably a hernia. But a lot of the times it's a retractile testicle that they think is a hernia. So when deciding when to observe or operate, we have to weigh the risks of incarceration or worse, strangulation. At Cincinnati Children's Hospital, we have data from 172,000 patients on incarceration rates and incarceration was really common in the first month. After about two months, there was a significant drop. From our data, it shows you that you don't have to worry about sending patients home to take pictures because they, they don't incarcerate, but the babies definitely do. And the preemies definitely do. So that's why I operate before they go home. Well, what about when we have a patient in the emergency department with an incarcerated hernia? How most of us are taught is to go down to the emergency department and push it back in. This is what you shouldn't do. That 
does not work just pushing it in. Um, it's just going to go up and over the deep, the, the superficial ring. Whoa, whoa. Okay, so what should we do instead? What you want to do is cone it down with two hands and squish it. Imagine the superficial ring and like you're squishing it into the superficial ring. So it's a two-handed thing, one above, one below, and take your time and it takes like several minutes to squish the edema out and you jiggle your hands a little bit and get it to squish down and it can almost always go down 85% of the time. That takes us to the inevitable questions about management. Should we reduce and admit for a next day repair or maybe just reduce and schedule an elective repair or go straight to surgery? If they come in incarcerated and I'm around, I say, don't even try to reduce it. Let's just go to the OR because I have to go anyways. Why does we'll go now instead of tomorrow? The general thought on incarceration is that during an open surgery, the tissue is edematous and we should wait for the edema to go down. But we live in the era of laparoscopy. The, the general thought of open is that it's edematous. So it's a tough operation to go in um, open after it's been incarcerated. So people wait for the edema to go down. Beth, your point is, would it be down by the next day? Maybe, maybe not. But with lap, I find that it's not that much harder. And you're right, it can be harder, but generally you can get see that needle through the peritoneum when it's edematous and you can do it. Let's check out the technique. Now here you see I'm barely tugging. You can't pull, you'll tear the bowel, but I'm pushing on the outside while I'm watching laparoscopic. This allows me to look at the bowel after I reduce it. And I give a little counter tension. It's just like a lap into susception. You wanna pull a little bit and um, try not to tear and you watch it sort of pop in. And you can see the bowel. And there's the defect and then we put our stitch in. Rounding out our cases for this episode, a one-year-old comes to the emergency department with a bulge that doesn't reduce. It could be a hernia, but we wanna keep a hydroseal on the differential. So a hydroseal is basically the testicle migrates down into the sac, the patent processus vaginalis stays open. If it closes completely, then that creates a non-communicating hydroseal, or just a sac of fluid that can't escape. A communicating hydroseal occurs when there's a tiny opening and fluid can come and go, but no bowel can fit through. I know what you're thinking. Let's use translumination for diagnosis, but... I don't always carry a light source. Plus, there may be a more effective way to make the diagnosis. But what I do is I can usually get my fingers above the bulge. If it's a hernia, you can't get your fingers above it. Whereas a hydrocele, you can get it all into your fingers and feel the top of it. And so I, that's how I examine for a hydrocele. I get my fingers above it and you can move it around and see that it's a discrete separation. It's not bowel coming down. And if you're wondering, you can get an ultrasound. What about the treatment approach to hydroseals? What I do for a hydroseal is I wait. I don't do anything. Um, it doesn't, there's no danger to a hydroseal. It's just fluid. So I wait till they're about two years of age. I think some people wait till they're a year of age. Um, most end up going away on their own. If it's still there by two years of age, then I'll fix it. It sounds like it's gonna be a communicating hydroseal. And I do these laparoscopically. Um, because it's usually a hernia, basically. It's a small hole. Now, anatomically, how can we differentiate a communicating hydroseal and an indirect hernia? They're pretty much the same thing, except for a small detail. So 
If it is still there after two years, it's probably a communicating hydroseal, which means there's an opening. So you can squish it in and all comes in. You can take your Maryland and open it up a little bit, squish it in. Okay, so now that we've seen the best practices for hernia and hydroseal repair, we need to talk about what to do with the contralateral side. You basically open up the sac, like you're about to fix the hernia, but instead of tying it, you put a camera in it and look around to the other side to see if there's a hernia there. After all we went over today, the two main approaches for hernia repair are open or laparoscopic, and there are various arguments on both sides. We talk about decreased pain, a cosmetic outcome, access to the hernia, but when it comes to an open repair, there's something we need to know. With the open repair, you can see here, see those were stitches from an open repair and now they have a direct hernia. So the most common cause of a recurrence after an open repair is a direct hernia recurrence. Yep, you heard it. There is a direct hernia recurrence in an open repair. How does that even happen? The most common cause of a recurrence is that they have a floor defect now. So my guess is in these micropremies that have cell layer thick transversalis fascias, we're basically causing a direct hernia by doing uh, an open hernia repair. And that's why the most common cause is a direct hernia afterwards. So there you have it. All the high yield fundamental topics about inguinal hernia from Dr. Todd Ponsky. If you liked this episode, be sure to follow us on social media, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Stay Current and Pediatric Surgery app. It's in the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. But until next time, I'm Brittany. And remember, knowledge, should be free.